On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the issues that are now back on the front burner after the election, real life stuff that was kind of put off, mostly economic. We're going to talk about that. And Bubba O'Neill and I discuss why it's really not a good idea to wear your deceased father during a football game. (laughs) Yes, you heard that right. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. During the election, we heard many general, sometimes vague, sometimes broad concepts that were thrown out there as, as included in a whole bunch of different promises. What's, what seemed to be missed though, for a lot of the election campaign was what was actually happening in the real world. Afghanistan kind of was an issue and then it just disappeared and other things. And we also heard other things economically that kind of were bubbling around, but not really. Well, now the election is over. Reality strikes again. These are issues that are going to have to be dealt with. These are issues that are going to have to be contended with. How do we do that in this country? I want to bring in Dr. Ian Lee, Associate Professor in the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. We always love having him on. Dr. Lee, thanks for your time today. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Uh, There's a few things I want to get to on this one. And starting with this, that I really thought was going to be a big discussion point in the election, and it sort of popped up just like a gopher popping his head out of the hole and then popped back again. Um, We saw about a week ago that inflation was up to near 20-year highs. Mm -hmm. And then, as I say, that topic sort of disappeared. Is this a concern or is this just one of those things where some people are saying, look, we're coming out of COVID, everything was down, so obviously we're going to shoot way up, but it's going to normalize itself soon enough? That's the one of the two theories that are, um, and when I say theories, I don't just mean academia. I'm talking this being discussed in central banking circles by senior uh, financial people in Ottawa, is, um, and it's being advocated by the governor of the bank county. He says, look, everybody, don't get your knickers or not. This is temporary. It's transient, and it's going to go back to normal. And if it does, great, no problem. However, there is another school of thought, uh, the former chief economic advisor to Barack Obama, who was the former president of Harvard, Lawrence Summers, uh, the former chief economist of the Bank of England until just a short time ago, both believe that in, inflation is becoming entrenched. That's the opposite word of transitory, entrenched. And entrenched where? In our heads, in the minds of millions and millions of workers and, and, and consumers. And if it becomes entrenched in our expectations, we will demand wage increases. That's what you do when you think that prices are going up permanently. Mm-hmm. And then employers grant them, and then they pass on wage increases, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling cycle, a spiral, an upward spiral. We saw that exact process occur in the 1970s. I lived through it as a young man when I was the mortgage manager of the Bank of Montreal in Ottawa. So people can't say, oh, no, no, that that's never happened. That can't happen. It did. I'm not saying it's going to go to 20, absolute to 20% interest rates. Absolutely not. But if in, in the interest rate, the inflation becomes entrenched, even at 3 or 4%, we know, because the central bank has said so in both Canada and the States, that they will increase interest rates. So mm. to your question now, because some people can say, oh, I don't care about inflation. If my wage goes up a little bit quicker, hey, that's great, fantastic, bring it on. But the, the end game of increased inflation rates, if they become entrenched, the end game is higher interest rates. And that affects everybody that borrows money. And for those who are sitting there... Including saying, well, the government. My house. I, I including the government. It yeah. includes the government. And, of course, all companies have lines of credit. 
including the farmers that build create the food that goes through the supply chain into the Loblaws and into the metro. So that, in mm. turn, the paradox of using interest rates to fight inflation is that, in turn, it also contributes in the short run to inflation because it raises the cost of doing business. And what I was so shocked about that this interest rate thing never seemed to get much traction right. in the campaign is that affordability was one of the top issues identified by so many people as one of their main issues and what you just described. that That is affordability as a definition. Uh, absolutely. And and it, the I think the reason it didn't get too much discussion is because it's more medium term. It's not immediate, not the inflation, but the consequences of the inflation are more medium term. In fact, there are people, uh, some forecasters are saying that rates will go up in Canada at the end, towards the end of next year, and certainly by 2023. Well, that's more medium term as opposed to next week. And so I think that that's probably why it didn't get uh, discussed. And the other thing that didn't get discussed, and I was sort of almost shocked, was we just glibly, you know, politicians glibly talk about we're going to decarbonize, yeah, 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 rah, 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 we're going to do meet our climate uh, change goals. People don't realize decarbonization is going to cost trillions. Uh, there's more. I mean, we, we just went through all these promises. Mm -hmm. The Liberals don't have a majority. They are going to rely on the NDP to prop them up. The NDP are going to want something for propping them up, which means more spending, which means more on to the debt. And you talk about the trillions, you talk about this. Uh, does this stuff concern you or is this the cost of doing business in 2021? No, it uh, obviously concerns me. In fact, I think that we're going to um, have a, uh, a rude awakening sometime in the um, uh, in this next uh, parliament. Um, and I mean by that, we're already deeply in, in, in deficit, although it's scheduled to come down uh, PBO has forecast it's going to decline steadily as the economy recovers. People go back to work and stop getting the CERB or whatever the new alphabet term is. Uh, so I, I accept that. However, on tap, or at least on proposal, what promised was universal pharmacare, universal daycare. The liberals themselves said daycare alone is $30 billion a year, forever. $30 billion on top of everything else. Uh, uh, universal Pharmacare has been priced by the PBO, depending on how generous it is, at somewhere between 25 and 40 billion a year. These are gargantuan, and we haven't even touched the genuine, the honest cost of decarbonization. No politician has touched it with a 10-foot pole and gone near it. They wave their arms and do talk about the need to decarbonize, and the world is warming. Indeed, indeed, for sure. But they're, they've never talked about the true cost, and it's not a couple of billion dollars. The U.S. has a very recent study, very reputable, Woods uh, McKenzie International Energy Consulting, estimates the cost of decarbonizing the U.S. is 5.5 trillion U.S. dollars. The U.K., which is a tiny country, to be blunt, compared to Canada, it's a very small country. You can drive from the yep, bottom to the yep. top. I've done it in about seven hours. You can't even get out of Ontario in seven hours. You can't even get out to Thunder Bay or Sault Ste. Marie in seven hours from Ottawa. And the U.K. estimates it'll be 3.5 trillion pounds or 5.5, thereabouts, Canadian dollars, 5.5 trillion dollars. The cost of removing the, the gas furnace and the gas water tank or the oil furnace or the propane furnace from the approximately 12 million homes per Stats Canada and rewiring the house to put in electric heat and, and, and rewiring the grid because uh, oil and gas supplies 80% of the totality of the energy in our country.
Electricity is 20%. They, the Greens and the decarbonization movement is saying, let's go from 20% total electricity to 100%. We're talking gigantic gargantuan increases. The grid's going to have to be upgraded. I'm talking every hydro pole, every wire running down every street to hold literally five times more capacity of electricity than before. And this is going to be in the trillions, not the millions and not the billions. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't do it. I'm saying we've got to open our eyes and go in with our eyes wide open that this is a very long-term adventure over many, many years. And it's going to cost gargantuan, unprecedented, unrealized amounts of money that we've never experienced before. See, when I listen to you talk, and and believe me, I I appreciate what you're saying, because I, I talk about the debt every now and then. And I have great concerns about the debt for my kids and for their kids. And so many times when I talk about the debt and the money we're piling onto the credit card, people poo poo it. They say, yes, that's fine. But you know what? You're not being sympathetic. You're not being compassionate. You're, you're an elitist because we need these programs now to help people. And look, I'm not arguing against programs to help people, but somehow I tell me I'm wrong, or maybe I am wrong that there has to be a balance between programs and realistic reality. Pardon me. Let me not make up a new word and reality and what we can actually afford. We can't just afford everything. Can we? No, we can't. Of course not, because there is scarcity. There is uh, resource. Resources are finite. Unless somebody really, really believes the resources are infinite, you can snap a finger and trillions of dollars descend upon uh, the government. And I don't think anyone believes that fairy tale. No. Um, and and so therefore, resources are finite, and that means you have to make tough choices. We all do it in our personal lives. I know economists. Purist economists don't like to draw comparisons between a personal household and governments, because, of course, government has a printing press called the Bank of Canada. And that's true. The federal government has a printing press. Provincial governments do not. They have to borrow their debts, borrow the money to pay for their deficits and debts from real bond markets. And the real bond markets can say, you know what? (laughs) I don't think you're, you're credible anymore. That's exactly what happened last year in the bond markets in Newfoundland and Labrador. The, the bond markets refused to buy their bonds. That's why the Bank of Canada started to buy their bonds and bail them out. And, and so down the road, we're gonna, in the near future, we're going to have a problem with several of the provincial governments because the PBO has said that they're not financially sustainable in the medium term. But let's go back to the feds because that's what you're talking about. They've got a lot more wiggle room. They've got a much bigger runway, if I can use the metaphor of a runway. Their runway is much longer but it is not infinite. And for those who say, what are you talking about? Can I remind everybody, 1995, Jean Chrétien and, and Paul Martin, and Paul Martin went down to the bond markets, and they said, you know what, we don't want to buy your bonds anymore. You're so indebted. And we were paying, if my memory serves me well, and I wrote an article on this, I believe we were paying 30% of all federal revenues were going as interest on the debt to pay for the yeah. debt. Yeah. And that precipitated the downsizing. So for those who say there's essentially that there's no consequences, we can borrow as much as we want to infinity, are not, they do not know what they're talking about. And we only have a minute left. I want to jump in really quick. I just have to ask you one thing about what you said a moment ago, and that's the printing press. Because um, this is something else that, that has come up in discussions. Well, we could just, the, the government can make more money and can help itself. Any Any move that the government does economically 
isn't in a vacuum. Something that they do will always affect something else. That's right. And if right now, because we're relatively, relatively lightly indebted, I mean, we're not, we're at about, we're at about the middle of the OECD, by the way, as percentage of GDP. And for those who say, oh, we can just keep printing it. We have real world examples of countries that went too far on the printing press. Venezuela, uh, Botswana, uh, Weimar Germany in the, in the 30s, 20s and 30s, 20s, um, Argentina in the last few years. So, yes, a country can print money in the short and the medium term, but the idea that you can just print infinite amounts forever without consequence, again, is contradicted by the experience of some countries that went down that road. We've never hit that wall because we've never had a a profligate and irresponsible Bank of Canada. We've always printed our money prudently, if I can put it that way, and reasonably. Uh, Whereas if we did go the road and say, look, we'll just print trillions of the stuff. We'll just pay for all these programs and social programs, open-ended, wide-end, and we're going to do the decarbonate. We'll just print it all. We would then run into probably hyperinflation because the record has showed those countries that have printed too much too quickly in too short a period have run into hyperinflation. That's what that's what's happened in some countries that I've just described. So the you can do you can print money, but there are limits. Mm-hmm. You cannot print it indiscriminately to infinity. You have limits even on the central bank. We're not at that wall. We're not at that limit. We've got lots of borrowing room left, printing room left, if I can put it that way. But it's not open-ended and infinite. Dr. Lee, I um, I did not really enjoy school all that much when I was there. I was not a school <laughs> guy. I wish I could sit in your classes. You, you, I love chatting with you, and I love learning about economics from you. Really appreciate this. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, I want to bring in someone we have not been able to connect for weeks here on the show, but uh, much overdue to have him back. Our good friend from CHCH-TV, Bubba O'Neill. we got a lot of stuff I want to get to, Bubba, uh, starting with this one. Tomorrow, Maple Leafs training camp gets going. Uh, if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, and especially if I'm Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews, what can you possibly say between now and April, because you're going to be interviewed a million times, what can you possibly say that would be the answer that Maple Leaf fans want to hear? And I would say about anything. And I would say there is no such thing. You are playing in a vacuum, essentially, until playoffs start, because that's the only thing that matters this year. Winning the cup? No, no, that's what I'm saying. Until you get to like April when the playoffs start, between now and then, it's there's nothing that you can say or do that's going to mollify or satisfy people. Nothing. You could score a thousand points and they won't care. I kind of disagree, Scott. And let me, let me tell you why. What they did last year was against in the regular season, which was, you know, a first place finish in the division was virtually against, well, not virtually, but it was against six other teams. So if they were to repeat that kind of performance and point total, Playing all the top dogs that are in their division, Tampa, you know, Boston, you know, uh, you know, and an improving Buff uh, Ottawa team that always gives them fits. Uh, in Montreal, who obviously they lost in the in the postseason too, and then of course you mix in all the other dogs, and you know, Alex Ovechkin and Philadelphia, all these improving New York Islanders that got a real nice team. Um, I think we have seen this play out before. 
all the team needs to do is go on a four to five game winning streak and everyone's pumped up again. Like this isn't, this wouldn't be the first time that we have forgotten about failure. That's true. That's true. You know, like they, that would, I'm not, I won't call it a choke. You know, I know that some people think it's disrespectful to call what happened against the, the Habs a choke because it sort of, you know, doesn't take a lot of respect into what Montreal did, but it was a collapse. You know, they were up three games to one and, um, a lot of people won't forget that because they've been, you know, but a lot of Leaf fans have been kind of slapped around and had that kind of torture in the past again, and it doesn't stop them from still cheering for the team. Yeah, I just, I, I, I think that there's certain guys that'll be able to be fine. I mean, I don't know how much flack Morgan Riley is going to take, and I don't know how much grief John Tavares is going to take. He wasn't in the playoffs for more than about 20 minutes last, last spring. But I, you know, Mitch Marner, I'm sorry, this is going to be a tough year for him, I think, because he has had tremendous regular seasons and then his playoff performances have been abysmal. And, you know, I, I think after 54 years now, I think Leaf fans are saying to themselves, yeah, you know what, that's lovely that you put up 100 points or close to it. We are ready for a team that's going to be competitive. I mean, it's been, what, now 17 years since they won a playoff series? I don't think regular season makes a whit of difference now to anybody, any real Leaf fans. Some, you know, some will be fine with it. But I I, I think this whole season is just a filler until they see if they can get to the playoffs. Well, it, well, I think you could say that about any team, Scott, in the National Hockey League and in the NBA. Like, even baseball, it's all filler. Who are we fooling here? Right? Like, you know, Maybe. It, it is. It is all filler. Right? Like, if the Jays go on a five-game winning streak or a five-game losing streak in 162 games, what does it mean? True. Right? Like, that's fine. It, I agree with that. I agree right? with it, that. It, but it, if the it, Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, if the any... Tampa Bay Lightning have a slow start, yeah, the fans there might be a little grumbly, but you just won a cup. Okay, so, you know, it's not going to be, you know, or if they go on a 10-game winning streak, it's, it's you know, great. That's great. You're allowed to celebrate. Leaf fans have this, just this broiling rage. It seems like right now about everything that happened, and it's it feels like it hasn't gone away from the spring. What, what rage? Like I said, this team just needs to go on a little run, and everyone will shut up. And and as this Mitch Marner thing, well, let him go. The guy's twenty four years old. He's played five seasons in the National Hockey League, and in two of them, finished in what the top five in scoring. Let him go. Like, yeah, yeah, complain about him. Complain about him not being there. Last time I checked, there's a couple of guys, a couple of Hall of Famers by the name of uh, Steve Eiserman, a, couple of, a guy by the name of Joe Sackick that had went through very much the same sort of thing. How about Michael Jordan? Six seasons without even winning around, right? So let him go. If you want to keep complaining about the guy, but you don't think he's trying, <laughs> right, teams, teams, give teams credit. Right, there's a couple of guys and a guy from Hamilton that did real well on on defending uh, a Mitch Marner. So if we fans want to complain, let him go, and then see what you got left at when he ends up playing for you know. I mean, even Austin Matthews, it was disappointing, and you, yeah, and and sure, expectations are high for these best players because they're making a lot of money. But at the end of the day, they're 24 years old. Still learning the league, still learning how to win. It's the you know what you just touched on it though. It's the fact that they got so much money so early, 
And I, I don't begrudge them their money. I mean, that's what the going rate is in the NHL. And so if I had been a pro hockey player, I'd expect that kind of money too. I don't begrudge that. But when you, fair or not, when you take that kind of contract, you do put the glare of the spotlight right on you. You can't take that money and then say, hey, look at someone else. It, it's on you. And I, and, I, and I think they've accepted that. These are young professionals that understand the responsibility um, and of, of playing in a market like Toronto. And I think for the most part, they like it. Um, and they understand that the good times are going to be over the top good and the bad times are going to be exactly like what they had. They've got, you know, but I will say this, a lot of them took to the podium at the end of the year and said, you know, like, what else do we need to, what else could they possibly say? Yeah, we, we, we blew it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these are professional athletes and I know there's people that, you know, that, that point fingers and William, like you're telling me these guys don't want to win. I'm sure they winning is a, 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 feels a lot more, you know, more joyous and the bus rides home and the plane rides home. Huh. There are a lot better when they win. So I, I just think sometimes people have to take a step back and, 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 and whether it's fair or not, when these guys get paid the going rate of what the national hockey league has, you know, because the, the league is big now it's big time. It's right there with the big four. Is it, you know, football and, and basketball in terms of cash? No, but it's It's on the way. It's, it's raising. So that means player salaries are going to be on the, on the ups. And if you're one of the top 10 players in the league, you're going to get paid accordingly or you'll go play somewhere else because someone else will want you. So funny that you mentioned William Nylander and now all of a sudden all the pressure's off him because he had a great playoff. So everyone's like, okay, fine, he, Willie's good he, now. He had a good season. He did, he did. But he's the he's been the whipping boy. Nobody is happier secretly about Mitch Marner getting some of the flack than William Nylander because he's finally saying, for for a change, I'm not the guy who's getting pounded on here. I don't I don't really think that he's I, happy. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think, I, I mean, this is just my feeling. I don't care. I, I think William Nylander didn't care what anyone said. And really, at $6.5 million a season, he's a you can bargain. Laugh. All right, you were talking about 24-year-old guys. Let's add 20 years to that. All right, let's switch sports here. I am, I am, I have reached the point now where I am entirely um, refusing to make any more predictions about when <laughs> Tom Brady may begin to slow down because this, he, I mean, I don't want to be overstating it, Bubba, but in the first two games, it's only two games of this season, I don't know that Tom Brady has ever played better than he's played in these first two games of the season. Nine touchdown passes, 30 points both games. Like the guy, I don't know what he does. I mean, I know he has that program that he does, the TB12 program and all the stuff he sells books for. This is incredible. He's one of these generational guys that we will be talking about for 25, 30 you know, he's he he'll go in the books with the Bradshaws, the 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 Montanas, the Youngs, um, you know, the Joe Namus. He his name obviously is a surefire Hall of Famer, and he'll and he'll be above those guys because his accomplishments will be more. Let's also put into you know some type of the conversation that they are one of the only Super Bowl teams to get all 24 of their starters back for the next year. That, that never happens in any sport. Someone else always goes for the money elsewhere. All of these guys have committed to taking maybe some of them a little bit less, 
maybe taking one-year deals instead of three-year deals. Brady giving up some of his dough as well, too. It's not mm-hmm. part of his greatness as well, too. Um, for the fact that because they love to win, and Brady loves to win. You can see it on his face. He hates losing. And I think that's part of his fire. You know, putting aside the fact the guy is just, you know, he's in better shape than he is at 44 than he was at 34. Yeah, and 24 probably. Well, certainly, if you saw his picture from his draft year. Oh, my goodness. His body, he he looked like me. (laughs) And that's that's not a compliment. I mean, his body was, you looked at that guy, he said, that guy's stocking shelves at Fortino's. He's not not playing professional football. I mean, anyone that has not seen that. I mean, go to go to go to YouTube or whatever. It there really is, hope is for all of us. There it is really hope for is for all of us. He really and, he is. Like, I wouldn't call him fat. He wouldn't. Be, he wasn't no. fat, but he 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 was he would he was he, normal. He didn't, he didn't look. He didn't look in great shape. <laughs> he looked like the average guy who's sitting on the couch <laughs> watching football. He just that was there was no definition to him. Uh, he was. You know what he was? The word I would use is he wasn't fat by any stretch, but he was soft. He just, he looked very like, soft. He, there was no muscle. There was just, it was just, Hey, I'm Tom. I'm a happy guy. Take my picture. And that was, and yet look what happened. Now here's the one thing. Look, I, I'm never, Tom Brady's got seven Super Bowls. all the stuff. You can't say anything. You can't say anything negative about any, and like other than in deflate gate or inflate gate, which I still think was the most overblown, ridiculous thing in the history of football. Nonetheless, the one thing that Tom Brady is going to cause a problem with is that one of the great discussions and things in sports that we always have is who's the guy who's going to challenge to be the great, who, who's the guy we can throw into the conversation about the greatest. I mean, Michael Jordan, you might say Michael Jordan is the greatest player. Some, but there's arguments. Some will say Larry Bird. Some will say Magic Johnson. Some might say Wilt Chamberlain, whoever. There's a debate around it. And in hockey, you know, is it Gretzky? Is it Lemieux? Is it, or with with Tom Brady and the things that he's done, seven Super Bowls and all these MVPs and playing till he's 45 and setting records, he is essentially, Bubba, eliminating probably forever any debate about who's the greatest quarterback of all time. Well, you can't it, have a debate. It, 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 the, the last Super Bowl ended it, right? Like, the, the discussion... Look, if you're not... If you don't believe that Tom Brady is the GOAT, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, I, I, hey, I'm a Bills fan, suffering Bills fan that had to lose to Tom Brady year after year after playoff <laughs> game, after, sorry, after regular season game against that guy when he was a member of the New England Patriots. Him getting his seventh Super Bowl, going to a totally different team, a traditional loser at that too, a team that won one Super Bowl but way back with a totally different personnel. And then getting people to come to him, even a Gronkowski, getting him out of the WWE to come play for a year. And then Gronkowski's <laughs> playing well too. Right? Yep. Like th- he is the goat. There's no discussion. I love all the these past named like they're greats. Staubach. I could go on and on. But they would all say Tom Brady is the greatest. Playing in a harder time. You now physic more physically demanding. Um more way more passing. I mean Brady's what putting up the ball at what forty times a game? Yeah, yeah at least. Right. Some days, some days, fifty. Yeah. Sometimes I think on Monday that Monday nighter that it was a Sunday night or whatever the, the, the yeah Monday nighter put it up almost you know like 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 forty five like he it's not even a discussion 
And that's the part of and that's and that's hard to do, as you just said, about others because even guys as great as Jordan is there is some discussion about maybe two or three other guys, and I know one of them you your can, guy. No, no, right? but you can legitimately with Jordan put up at least you can at least have a discussion and say, here's why I think this other person would be my guy. Yes. Who who's the who's the quarterback None. that you can have there isn't None. anyone. And and last year before the Super Bowl, when they were trying to make it up to be Mahomes is the next Tom Brady. Even before that game, Mahomes would have to win five more Super Bowls, <laughs> and it's and no no one else has even won more than four, right? Five, five Is Super five? Bowls. How many more MVPs? How many more right. Super Bowl MVPs? It's right. just it's impossible. It's the one thing that Tom Brady has taken away from football is that discussion and that sort of barroom debate about greatest. You almost once upon a time in 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 um, fantasy hockey. If you used to play fantasy hockey, there was a time when you could not draft Wayne Gretzky because he was so far off the chart that if you got Gretzky, you automatically won your <laughs> your draft. And so yeah. Wayne Gretzky was not eligible. You almost have to now with the debate say, okay, Tom Brady is out of the discussion. He's not human. He's a cyborg. So who then is the greatest human quarterback of all time? Maybe greatest human player. Anyway, uh, very quickly before I let you go, because we are short on time, I, this story, one of the weirdest stories in football um, Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers. Um, I don't know if you heard this story. He decided his father died recently. It was cremated and Aaron Jones went on the field wearing a necklace with a vial of his dad's ashes and lost it in the middle oh, of the game. Oh, Jesus. And I'm like, okay, I get that you, you're honoring your father. You're playing tackle football. With... <laughs> I, oh. I think this was not a well thought out. Now they found it apparently, but this was not a well thought out idea. Well, hopefully his dad gave him a licking somehow. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking, yeah. son? <laughs> if dad was a, if dad was a ghost, dad appeared to him that night and go, "Kid, you lost my left arm in the middle of a game. What, what's the yeah. deal?" You know, yeah. and I, I gotta admit, I mean, again, this is a personal thing. I, I mean, I don't know who am I. Maybe who am I to speak on this, really? But I, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of morbid. I guess, I guess you want to have him clo- your dad or your, your parents close to you. Maybe they watched all your games, but I don't know. Carrying around a vial around your neck, I don't know. I, I love I love the fact that he was that close to his dad that he wanted to have him close. I just, as I say, I look at it and I go, you know, there's a reason when, like in high school football, they tell you not to wear jewelry. Stuff can get grabbed. It can fall a- off. You absolutely. can get your ear ear, ear uh, thing ripped out. All these kind of things. Um, you know, like what if the vial broke? Well, then dad would have been forever on Lambeau Field. <laughs> maybe maybe that was the secret plan. Maybe it was a breakable vial and he was hoping dad was going to be sprinkled on Lambeau Field. There's a lot of people who wish they could be sprinkled on Lambeau Field when they die. Maybe this was the way. I feel so anyway, bad laughing, but like... It, nah, it has a happy ending. We're allowed to laugh because dad was found. And, oh. and, and he lost it during a touchdown, by the way, so... You know, dad got to celebrate wherever dad was buried in the grass at Lambeau. Yeah. Anyway, keep, keep it at home there, my friend. Like, just keep it at home or, you, or even in your locker. In your locker. Yeah. Or, or like, um, who was it? Who, um, uh, was it Randy Moss who had the cell phone in his pants? Oh, that was, uh, the John Horn, the, not John Horn, um, uh, uh, Horn from the New, the right. New Orleans. You could do that. A vial, of your, <laughs> a vial of your dad in your uniform somewhere. I won't say in your pants. That would be too weird. Anyway, we got to run. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH TV. Always appreciate it, man. Thanks for doing this. Great combo. 
The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.